This is the church series with, with just the name of the church as the title. Um, and I guess I, I'm pretty happy with that. I think we want to talk about Christchurch. We want to talk about some of the things that we think are really important. So this series, it's going to be nine hopefully short talks. This is not an exhaustive conversation about what church is. We're not going to make our way through with any ambition to explain all that. Um, we're talking to you about things that we feel really called to. We're talking to, as Paul said, things that are in our identity, that we feel like make sense of our, you know, our calling, our gifting, our place in this world, and things like that. So that, that's what this series is going to be about. And we want you to really, in a really kind of geeky Christian way, I think church is ace. I genuinely think it's if we are God's people doing God's business on this earth, I think it's the most awesome looking thing in the world. And there are things in and about that that we just want to share and we want to really talk to you about. So that's what this series is going to be about. So you can dip in and out. I know some of people are in and away on holiday. So if you, if you miss one, please, if you want to know what we're about and some of our values, then uh, check back in uh, with the series as we go into the future. The Bible reading today the passage that we're looking at, the subject that we're looking at, if you can see there, is uh, diverse. Church is going to be diverse. Um, and the Bible reading is found in Luke chapter 10. I'll start reading at verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus answers with a question. What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But, a story with a but, but, he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the, so too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him pass by on this on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he travelled, came where the man was. I feel like I should pause over that bit again. But a Samaritan, it's another but. As he travelled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. End of story. Verse 36. Which of these do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who has had mercy on him. Jesus told him, 
go and do likewise. The thing that annoyed Jesus the most, what was the thing do you think that irked Jesus the most, if you were to stop and think about it? Think through the Gospels, think through the Gospel stories. What was the thing that irked him the most? The thing, to my eye, that annoyed him the most was the religious people. The religious institutions. I guess, in a roundabout way, me. Me more than you. The religious institutions. People, as I talk about God's church and what I think it should be, people who should be these religious institutions, people who should be shaping the most attractive, most equality-driven, socially active, compassionate community that the world has ever known. That's what, that's, that was the idea. That was what was set. That was, what, that was the dream in the Old Testament. That was what God was challenging us to do. And instead, these people were shaping a divisive, self-servient, appearance-based, achievement-based institution. This is, what, this is what Jesus found, and he kept bumping into it all the time. So time after time and again, read through the Gospels, he comes to the streets of Jerusalem, the city on a hill that should be a light to the nations, that should show the warm heart of God, and he keeps on encountering religious, institutionalized leaders with cold hearts who are burying the love of God underneath extra laws that make them look better but make his laws harder to keep. We find him in the temple courts, which is a space where anyone is to come and find God. That's what it says in the text. You know, when Jesus turns over the tables, anybody is supposed to come here and be aided in their journey towards God. And Jesus finds people who have turned this area into a place where you would make money, make it about hierarchy, make it about position. They've hidden the warm heart of God. We find him in the temple. Jesus enters the temple and finds people there in the place where God himself is supposed to be being revealed. The miracle of who God is, the, his wonders, where you might actually find out the extent of who God is. And Jesus finds there, as he heals people, and as he does stuff on days that they're not happy about, leaders who'd rather assert their rank. An institution that would rather keep its traditions than have God reveal his heart, than have God speak. Now what I want to, I guess, think about is, does this story, and this is what we're faced with, we're taking an introspective look at the church, does it sound like a familiar thing? Does it, are you familiar with the church institution? Have you seen this? Have you seen a picture of this across the world, throughout history? A church that can divide can fall out amongst itself. A church that would rather have people keep position. A church that would rather hang on to a tradition than hear God speak. Have you seen any of this? It can go that way, can't it, sometimes? This series, 
want to try and express on you the heart of God for his church. I want you to really be bothered about what his church looks like. I want you to see his heart for it. Jesus, read through the Gospels this week. Have a pick a Gospel and read through it. Jesus never misses a chance. He literally does not miss a chance to speak into this called institution and remind it. And he's happy to turn tables over. He's happy to mix it up. He's happy to argue. He doesn't miss a chance to pierce them with the truth of God's love. So I want us to feel that. I want us to get a sense of that. And I think we do get a sense of it in this story that we've read through. It's the story of the good Samaritan. So have that story in your head. Notice in verse 29, first of all, I think what the problem is. Verse 29 is the, is the big problem. The expert, that might have been a problem in and of itself. Experts can be a pain, can't they? The expert asks, how far does this love go? What, 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 is, the, what is this going to ask of me? That's what he's bothered about. He, he's, he's on board with the idea of the love of God. And what he's thinking about is, so what does this mean? Where does it take me? It's interesting if you look, I think it's really interesting, if you look at what's been talked about in this passage, when you think about actually what it is, the first thing it has been talked about is verse 25, is the idea of salvation. Huge, big tenant in the Christian faith. And the second thing is what we call God's golden rule. Summing up all of the, all of the law in a couple of phrases. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength and love your neighbor as yourself. It's almost everything. You could say that. And Jesus, in his answer, gets us to think about, when dealing with these subject matters, the circle of our care. How far are we willing to go with our own love? On, these, on this subject matter, salvation, the golden rule, all that the Old Testament's about, all that God's saying to us, and he says, think about it in these terms, and let it pierce you just for a second. How far are you willing to go with love? It's that thing, you know, this is how love works, isn't it? It's, we, we enter into it, and we, we, as, soon as, as soon as we talk about it, because what I want to do in a sense here, I feel like the script is laid out for me to beat up the expert and say, yeah, you, you're, you're just too shallow. But the truth of it is, it's the first place I go when I think about what love is. It's the ground I am fighting over all the time with everybody in, the, in my world that I love. Where, where does it, what does this mean? How far do I have to go with this? You marry the woman, do you marry the family, do you marry the extended family? You have people that you come into contact with that do all sorts of things, and all the while, you are working out where love leaves you, the extent of it. It's where we are all of the time, so I can't beat up on the expert. And Jesus, I think, would tell the story of the Good Samaritan. He would tell it to the religious institution in Israel, and he would tell it to me. I think he'd probably tell it to you. And to really get... So it's a concise, it's a, just a gem of a story. But to really get it, you've got to not, I would imagine as soon as I started reading the story of the Good Samaritan, you were like, I'm, I know where this goes. You've got to drop some stuff off to get it. I think we miss it sometimes. You've got to forget those Good Samaritans for a start. You've got to forget the Good Samaritans on the end of the phone. You know those amazingly lovely people who look after you, they're just there 24-7. Those good people doing good things, you've got to forget them. You've also got to forget... The warm, gooey feeling. You know, the end of the story of the Good Samaritan, you think it's just about doing nice things. You've got to drop that. When Jesus tells this story, 
I don't think he wants us to have a lump in our throat. Excuse me for being a bit gross for a second. I think he wants to have a, us to have a bit of sick in the back of our mouths. He doesn't want us to feel gooey and soft, you know, nostalgically, lovingly looking at what the Good Samaritan does. He wants us to choke on this story. So just have the story in your mind. Maybe pop the text up. Maybe just let it flow through. Watch what the master storyteller is doing. He opens up the story, introducing the character. It's a Jew. He's on a journey. He's going down to Jericho, and it's, he's been set upon by robbers and beaten up. It's the kind of thing, as he tells the story, you can imagine the audience going, yeah, that could be me. This is the perils of the day. He gets everybody on board with the idea of a story. And then, as he's got your attention, as he's got you engaged, with the religious leaders looking around, talking to the big group, he talks about the priest, introduces the character of the priest. You can almost imagine the eye rolls of the audience listening. The priest who just walks by on the other side. And you're thinking, well, maybe he's got a get out. He's not supposed to touch dead bodies. The Levite comes along. He does the same thing. And everybody there in the story, Jesus has led them down a path. And they're all thinking, this is going to end up being some story about some humble Jew down the road who comes to save the day. And it's going to be about undoing the religious institution. It's just going to be about that. And Jesus beautifully just tips them on their head and flips in as everyone thinks they know the, where they're going with the story. And he says, then a Samaritan, well, in fact, he says, but, but a Samaritan stopped by. So remember, not the nice people on the end of the phone, Samaritans, Jewish people of this time in particular, hated Samaritans. They were, they sold out uh, to the invaders when they came in. They, they were playing at their religion and the Samaritans hated them, hated them for it. You can, you can, you can, you can sort of connect this with the, the idea of a, a Protestant guy at the times of the Troubles sharing a story about how a, how a guy from the IRA went out of their way or a guy in the family of the IRA went out of their way to help them out. You can imagine, if you can imagine that kind of story being told, it would just be, you couldn't hold it. You couldn't cope with it. It would make you sick in your stomach to hear it. That's the kind of story that Jesus was saying. The Samaritan helped him. And then he gives him what I'm going to call like a love Chinese burn, if you can have that. The rest of the story, it's not soft and gooey. Jesus is, Jesus is pouring salt into their wounds as they realize this Samaritan guy is showing on love. Do you know the extra part of the story? As, uh, as the story goes on, we see that he doesn't just rescue him and pick him up, but he, he bandages him up. He puts him on his own donkey. He puts him up for the night and he gives him all this extra stuff. We're supposed to be hit by the impossible love of the Samaritan. We're supposed to, we're supposed to ache over this. God's love in us, if we have it, is not just the gooey, I'm going to help out the people that I know stuff. It is that. But it's so much more than that. God's love stretches us. This is what it does. It stretches us. It points us towards. It drags us towards the people that we can't. That's what God's love does. Yeah, it's this gooey moments. This helping out the people that we love, but God's love will stretch us. That's what God love does. It shows us 
the people that we can't look at. It shows us the people that we don't want to hang around with. It's radically inclusive. It's boundary-breaking. It's outrageously generous. It's going to be enough when you're faced with it, not to give you a lump in your throat, but to make you feel sick in your stomach. We want to relate this series to Christchurch. What does it mean for us? This is something that we... So when I'm faced with this, this is something that we hear, but it's, it's, it's like a million miles from something that we've mastered, but it's something that we hold. It's something that we hold as being important. God's love breaks us out into people that we don't know, that are not like us, that are different than us. And here at the church... Some, some of the values that we've adopted have been that we want people to come in. One of our values is that we try and have the front doors as wide open as possible. We try and stick ourselves in a place where people are going to accidentally walk through the doors. We're going to cross over as far as we can to connect with people. We're going to try as much as we can to share God's heart for the lost of the world. And it means what we hope for and what has happened, praise God, over the years is that new people will come into the building. Paul said to me on my first week in the job, it's been one of the wonders of this place that we always get different people wandering in, wandering in and wandering out. Not every club wants that. Not every club wants new people. Not every club wants different people. Not every club wants people that are not like yourself. At Christchurch, we chase that. We hold out for it. And do you know what happens when you open the doors more widely? I think this is what the expert in the law was getting at. When you open the doors more widely, when the diversity floods in, it gets trickier. You get problems. I don't know if you know, but they've just opened um, a premier inn in the quaint little town of Keswick, and the locals are going nuts. They're really hacked off, really angry. Cause, and they're all saying, we stopped in a B&B a, a little while ago, and they're all saying, it's just going to bring all the riffraff in. And all the stag dudes are going to be in and all that kind of stuff. And it's true. They've opened the doors up. This is what happens when you open the doors up. It gets trickier. But we want to hold on. And I guess the question we have with the expert in the law is, why should we... How can we hold on? How can, how can we personally have that love for other people that, that we don't really like? How can we as church keep the doors open? How could we, why could we? Three, three really quick reasons why I think there's nowhere else to go. First one is, dead simple, the alternative is more ruinous than we know. See what happens to the expert. See what traits he shows when we close that door, when we decide that we stick the barriers up to how much we're going to love, what we end up doing is becoming defensive. We end up becoming experts who just want to self-justify. That's the path. Once, once, you, once you put limits on it, once you say, this is as many people as I'm letting in, and it's really tough to hear, isn't it? But once we do that, we head on a path to self-justification. I don't know how far we get down that path. I don't know how far the expert was down that path. 
But when you see somebody at the end of that road, it can get pretty ugly. Wars happen that way. Fallouts happen that way. We don't want to go that way. The opposite side to that, one of the reasons that we can keep that love in mind is because it's a beautiful thing. It might be, it might be the most beautiful thing we're going to see when it works, when God's church works in that way. I don't know if you've ever had the privilege of seeing a proper orchestra. I've only maybe ever seen a couple, and I'm a long way from any kind of a musical expert, but there's a couple of things that you notice when you go and watch an actual orchestra. You notice all the different instruments, first of all. And if you're a novice like me, one of the things you're thinking is, how is this all going to... There's a guy there with two huge, massive big drums. Seems a bit random. There's a, a, a wee guy at the front with a, a very delicate flute. There's a guy at the back with, I don't even know what it's called. How is this all, all going to pull together? And then there's this din. I don't know if you've been to a, to, to a concert where, where the, everyone just sort of um, tunes in their instrument or just tries it and cracks it, you know, sees what's out there. And it's this horrible din. Then the conductor gets up at the front. And, you know, it's not really my bag, but I was just, oh, this is just... Everything sort of pulls together, and you're like, oh, that's, that makes sense. The big guy on the drums, yeah, we've got to have him in, the big guy on the drums. The little delicate guy at the front playing the flute, whatever, you've got to have them in, and it all pulls together. And it sounds beautiful. It's a song. The church. When we see... When we see that diversity, when we see that level of difference, pulling together in Jesus' name, honestly, from God's perspective, and I believe shouting out to the rest of the world, it's like, it's beautiful. It's an amazing thing when you see it. Two people from completely different backgrounds with nothing at all in common sharing a cup of tea. Honestly, it's a beautiful thing. Two people who have never gotten on with each other, and this happens in churches all the time, two people that have never gone on with each other, permanently working towards peace, overlooking the difference of the other person. It's beautiful. The extrovert who will take time to listen to the introvert and stop what they're doing, stop speaking, and edge out their personality just to share. When the grandest cynic of Christianity comes through the doors and finds a warm welcome. Honestly, it's, a, it's beautiful. It's powerful. It's a glimpse of heaven. There's a verse in Revelation that's talking about what I think eternity looks like. And listen to this. It's, a Revelation. it's in Revelation 5, and it's John looking out in a vision-like state at what heaven looks like. After this, I looked. There before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, People and language, so much diversity, so much difference, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud, loud voice, salvation belongs to our God. It points to him and it glorifies him. When we meet together in our difference, it's a beautiful thing. Last reason, the sermon's done. Because the alternative is ruinous, because it's a beautiful thing, but finally, because Jesus said it. That's why we've got to hold on for this love, because Jesus said it. Not everyone's, weight, not everyone's words carry that much weight. 
their, the life that they've lived can interrupt the power of the words. I'm not trying to make a political statement, but I'm a, I'll be a bit worried if our PM needs to tell us we all need to stay inside again. I don't know how that'll go down. I don't know if he'll be able to do that. I don't know if he'll listen. But when some people speak, the way that they've lived gives their words extra weight. I read a quote this week. This week. I don't know if in a heartbreaking kind of way you've followed uh, Deborah James. Anybody been following that story recently? The bowel babe. Um, the, the lady that did the podcast that recently died of of bowel cancer, just has lived this thunderously defiant, at least from where I've seen, beautiful, honest life, despite horrific circumstances. And she said in a quote, I think her final Twitter tweet, she says, and I dismiss a lot of tweets. You know, you just scroll through, don't you? And I read this tweet, stop me in my tracks. And I don't think she's the first person to coin this kind of stuff. But because of the way she'd lived, I'm like, I'm on every single word. Find a life worth enjoying, take risks, love deeply, have no regrets, and always, always, always have rebellious hope. And finally, check your poo. It could just save your life. Stuff that I would not normally scroll and stick around to, to hang around and let, let, it, let it soak under my skin. I read this having journeyed with her at least on Twitter and on social media and felt a bit of the ache and seen how defiant she was and how lovely she was and how beautiful she was. And the words had such weight. I couldn't get away from the tweet. I had to check my own life out. See, when Jesus tells us, when he says, love your neighbor as yourself, love one another, when he says it, when he says it, when he's hanging on the cross, after everybody's rejected him. When he says it, when he grabs hold of the guy with leprosy that nobody else will touch. When he says it, there's nothing else for it but to listen. And that's all of our stories. And you end up, you end up turning around from the world that you want to protect and the love that you want to case in and say, that's enough, I'm going to go that far. And you can't help with Jesus, but at least turn around and look at what he asks of us. So the first, the first session ends with us to think about God's church, God's love, and the diversity that has to come in when you listen to him.